All right, everyone. Welcome to the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast with Andrew Drozdak and Thomas Bowen. This is a podcast for slightly above average football fans, slightly below average football fans that want to learn more about the game. And if you're a football junkie, this is the podcast for you. We're glad you're here and we hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody, welcome in to episode 12 of season three of the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast. My name is Andrew Drozdak, and tonight I will be your only host as Thomas Bowen was going to have the week off, maybe a few weeks off. He and his lovely wife just had their first child. Everybody's doing great, and we hope Thomas and his wife are enjoying their time with their first child. There's nothing quite like that. Speaking of things that there's nothing quite like, the experience with Better's Edge, which is the premier no-fee social betting marketplace. Better Edge allows users to create their own prices and lines for sports betting positions in 45 states. Most importantly, that includes South Carolina, that are often better than you can find anywhere else. Use the code AVERAGE at sign up to get $20 in your wallet when you verify your account. Just for listening to the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast, visit bettersedge.com slash average to get started today. That's B-T-T-O-R-E-D-G-E dot com slash average. All right, everybody. Like I said, Thomas is out and will be out for a couple weeks. Special announcement on that. We will have a special guest host with me or co-host with me next week. We will delay our recording by one day, so our uh, show will be live uh, one day later than usual, but I think it is worth it. I'm excited about that special guest co-host. So if you are new to the show, this is the X's and O's show for the Jimmys and the Joes where we explain the game in a way that you can't find find anywhere else on the podcast world. Uh, We do, as always, start off with the South Carolina football game last week. Uh, In this case, that's the Missouri game, as the folks who are on this show, me and Thomas and many, many others, are Gamecock fans. So we're going to start there. And that is the South Carolina-Missouri game, which South Carolina lost, and many South Carolina fans were extremely disappointed in the performance of the Gamecock football team overall. I would echo that sentiment. I was extremely disappointing. But you have to point out first that Missouri has the third best defense in the SEC when it comes to total point, total yards allowed, and you have to give them the credit they deserve for how well they played defensively and offensively, to be quite honest. But what was painfully obvious was that once starting running back Marshawn Lloyd went out with a, I believe what was called a thigh contusion, it was going to be a long day for the Gamecocks. The Gamecock offense looked lost. It looked like it didn't know what to do to contain what the Missouri defense was doing. They didn't seem to have any answers. We're going to talk about that later. Um, Here's the thing that's the most concerning. As an offense, you have to be able to adjust quickly at the line of scrimmage based on a pre-snap alignment that is obvious. For example, South Carolina likes to run the outside counter or outside zone play. When you're running that, you're looking to attack the inside or right down the middle of the butt of the play side offensive tackle, which is the last offensive lineman to one side. If as a quarterback, you look over and you see what we call in football an overhang linebacker, meaning a linebacker that is shifted right to where you're trying to go the ball, and that linebacker is showing blitz, which Missouri's linebacker did often. 
there has to be in the system a quick method of change. That could be to quickly change the side the play is going to. So let's say you're running outside zone right. A quick call could be Oscar, could be Orange, could be Flip, could be anything. I've seen where the quarterback uses, uh, makes like a ringtone type noise because he's doing a phone because the old flip phone. Oscar, opposite. You've got to switch it because they're coming, they're blinging a Brits, they're blinging, bringing extra men right where you're trying to run the football. And if you can see that pre-snap, which oftentimes you could see pre-snap with what Missouri was lined up to do, you've got to have the willingness, the knowledge, and be able to quickly change out of that. Not a full-on audible, just, hey, we're switching which side we're running to that too. And that did not happen in the game on Saturday. I don't know if it's a systematic thing. I don't know if it was on Spencer Radler as the quarterback to make that decision. I would think there's a system of check with me, so to speak, where he would look over to the South Carolina sideline, someone up in the booth or high above the field, or even someone on the sideline will say, hey, they've got their, their defense shifted to where we're trying to run the football. We need to flip the play or completely audible out of the play that did not happen that just can't be the case there has to be something going there also when you run a counter running play what you're doing is your running back is taking steps to one direction sticks his foot in the ground his outside foot and cuts back to the other direction so just a second ago i was talking about outside zone right what you would do there is run counter left off of that where he takes his steps like he's going to run outside zone right after a step or two he sticks his outside foot in the ground this time this being his right foot in this case and turns 180 degrees, 45 degrees, whatever the case may be, and goes back the opposite direction. While he's doing that, the two play side, what looked like the play side linemen, the guard and the tackle, the guard is the player directly beside the center, and the tackle is the player directly beside the guard, are going to do what we call in football, pull. They're going to literally turn and go the other direction, and they're going to kick out the defensive end or the last man on the line of scrimmage, usually that's going to be the guard's responsibility. And then the tackle is going to come behind him. And as we used to call it when I was playing, dig the hole. He's going to hit the next wrong color jersey he sees show up in that hole. If that's a linebacker, if that's a safety, whatever the case may be. Now, that's a great play when you're having success running a play to one side and you counter off the other. South Carolina seems to basically only pull linemen when they are running the counter. So what that means is when a defensive tackle, who is the player that is lined up in some variation near the guard, either head up, meaning they're looking eyeball to eyeball, to eyeball outside, which would be a three technique, which means his nose is aligned with the outside eyeball of the offensive guard, or he could kick him in the crotch with his inside foot, or to a one technique, which is the exact opposite side. So... That defensive tackle, if all you do when you pull is you run the counter, he's going to be taught by his defensive line coach and the defensive coordinator, when you see your man pull, get on his back hip, follow him to the ball, and make a play. We saw that happen over and over, <coughs> excuse me, and over again in this South Carolina-Missouri game. And it was completely unacceptable for a Power 5 Division 1 
SEC offense and offensive coaching staff led by offensive coordinator Marcus Satterfield to not have a better plan to be able to counteract that. When you see that guard is chasing, excuse me, that defensive tackle is chasing that guard's back hip, you have to see that and use it against him. Football is chess. It ain't checkers. You've got to have strategy. You can't just blindly do things, grab bag, call plays. There's a rhyme and a reason. And if the defense isn't doing what you expect them to do in the game, you must have the ability to counter what you're trying to do. If counter outside counter has been a big play for you and they know that and they're taking huge steps, which in doing so they're exposing themselves to other play, to vulnerabilities of other plays, you've got to know what those vulnerabilities are and take advantage of it. If that's an RPO or run pass option where the quarterback is trained, hey, that defensive tackle's following that pulling guard, I'm not giving this ball. I'm throwing a quick slant. I'm throwing a quick dragged by the tight end, I'm throwing something quickly, or I'm pulling it and running out the backside. And if he's going to run counter left, I'm going to ride him, take that ball out of his belly, him being the running back, and I'm going to continue on that right. Because if the defensive tackle and the defensive end and the linebacker to that side are all flowing, which they were, with those pulling guards and tackles or pulling guard and tight end, then guess what? That means that side of the field is wide, freaking open for an easy QB run. Spencer Radler will not be confused for a dual threat quarterback. He is not Lamar Jackson. He is not Jalen Hurts. He is not Tim Tebow. He is he's none of those players. He's not Luke Doty. But if a defense commits like that, you can use the quarterback. It doesn't matter if he's not super fleet of foot to get advantage there. And really, let's say you get a four or five yard gain there. He takes a he slides, doesn't take a big hit. Now the defense has to go, oh crap, we can't just overload to that counter. We've got to honor the backside of this play because the quarterback may pull it out of the running back's belly and he may run for a few yards. And if we keep giving up four and five yard runs on that play, he's going to continue to get first downs. But you have to show either a willingness or a knowledge to do that. If your system doesn't have that in your places, your your game plan, you do not have a good system. Your system is broken. If your quarterback does not have the knowledge to do that, you have not coached him well. If he does not have the willingness to do that, he should not be in the football game. Those are the things that should be happening. <clears throat> Along the same lines of unacceptable situations. A running theme this season has been Jaheim Bell's lack of time on the field. Now, maybe Jaheim has not been what this coaching staff expected him to be. But if he is still as integral to the offense, as phenomenal of an athlete as we are told week in and week out, the common answer in a press conference after the game is, Cannot be, we got to get him on the field more. Yeah, we got to get him more touches. Yeah, you know, this, that, or the other. He had nine snaps. I can understand the quarterback doesn't read the defense right. Defense is trying to take him away. If he do, if they do that, guess what? That's two players often committed to one guy that should open somebody else up. But if he's not on the sideline, if he's not a decoy or he's not a featured player, he does no good. He does no good, and if he is as good of an athlete as we have seen him show at times, and he's had some drops at times, or 
if he is not producing and not practicing in the way he needs to, then acknowledge that. Don't continue to tell us he needs to be on the field more. That's on me. That's on us. And then don't do it. Coach Beamer addressed this in his Tuesday press conference by talking about the fact that you have five offensive linemen that are essentially always going to be on the field, some version of a five set of offensive linemen. Your quarterback, that gets you to six, and then said that when healthy, Lamar, uh, yeah, excuse me, not Lamar, Marshawn Lloyd is going to be that seventh player that everybody agrees should be on the field the majority of the time, and that ultimately that leaves you four spots. Among those four spots, you have Juju McDowell, you have Austin Stogner, you have Jaheim Bell, Juice Wells, Jalen Brooks, Josh Van, Christian Bale Smith, and the list goes on and on. He said there's just simply not enough space for everybody. I get that. I get that. So then I go back to what I just said. One of two things. Jaheim's not good enough to get into that four-man rotation. Okay, tell me that. Or he is, and you need to have packages. You can have quick packages on the sideline that are easy to build where you say, okay, we're going to put these players in because in this situation, they are what we want. Those are packages. You, you talk about it in defense. You hear about a rabbit's package on a defensive line where they want to get the most pass rushers out there as possible. You have a lightning package. That means, hey, we're getting our quick guys. A bear or a bull package, which is your big dudes who are going to be good blockers and short yardage. And it's an easy thing for everybody on the sideline. Hey, bull, 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 bull. That means get, if you're in bull, get in the huddle. That doesn't necessarily mean we're going to run the same formation every time. It means we're going to have the same personality in each time. That is a simple coaching decision. That is a simple situational football knowledge. And again, it is not happening. I continue to hear execution, execution, execution. We're not executing well. Players say this. Coaches say this. I'm going to say what I've been saying for a long time now. If you are continuing to not execute plays correctly, not have the details of that play down, not know what to do, miss a block, miss a call, miss an assignment, miss an adjustment, then your play is too complex. You need to have plays that can account for almost anything that happens on the field. There should be a built-in call if all of a sudden they're bringing an extra blitzer and your line needs to be ready. There should be a built-in call that if you're trying to call a wide receiver screen and they're jamming up on your wide receivers, they're pushing up on the line, that you've got a hand signal or head motion or, or something that tells the wide receiver, fake this screen, get you a, a hitch or a quick slant because I'm going to pump fake to the screen and then I'm going to throw in the open space that is created. It is that simple. RPOs. One of the quotes, and I'm stepping on my notes a little bit here, but since it's just me, I can do that. One of the quotes from earlier in this season that Spencer Radler said was that this offense was trying to mimic the L.A. Rams, who are the defending Super Bowl champions. Unfortunately, right now, it is mimicking the L.A. Rams. The L.A. Rams are the third worst offense in the NFL right now. South Carolina is the third worst def offense in the SEC right now. It is ridiculous. And it is a broken record. I will say this, the offensive line, which had played better of late and had you know people, including myself, kind of complaining that Spencer was bailing out of clean pockets. He was running from ghosts, as I like to say. They were not ready. The twists, the slants, the extra man coming, the, the, the different things that the defense from Missouri were doing, South Carolina's offensive line, particularly in cut protection, was not ready for it. 
So a minute ago, I mentioned a quote from Spencer Adler from before this season started. There's been something that he said right after the game that a lot of people have really harped on, and I'm going to be one of them. During the press conference after the game, he was asked, how can this offense be more explosive? Here is a direct quote from a part of his response. Quote, I don't feel like we had a good idea of what to do. I say that because we just need to get better at preparing and knowing what to do. End quote. First of all, first of all, that's bad leadership by your quarterback. He just threw a lot of people under the bus. You can talk about quarterback speak and coach speak as a leader. And as a quarterback, you are a leader. You fall on that sword. You do not throw responsibility onto others. He should probably focus more on throwing the football to his own team and stop throwing interceptions. Secondly, if what he is saying is true, this is an indictment of the South Carolina offensive coaching staff and game plan, pure and simple. It is not acceptable for your starting quarterback to get up there and say, we don't, I don't feel like we had a good idea of what to do. What did you do during practice that week? What did you scout? What did you prepare for? What was the scout team running to mimic Missouri's defense? Let's say, for example, Missouri came out there and threw you a major curveball. They were doing things that they had never done before. I don't necessarily think that that's the case, but hypothetically, let's say it was. I go back to the fact your system should be designed as such that you pull your line over, you pull your offense to the sideline and say, okay, guys, they're doing something we weren't prepared for. That's okay. Our system is built for this. Here's the calls we need to adjust to. In-game changes. You can be a great X and O's mind. You can draw plays up on a whiteboard. You can break down film. You can talk NFL, NFL offensive philosophy all day long. That is fantastic. And it takes talent and knowledge to do that. What it also takes talent and knowledge to do is to be able to make in-game adjustments that we have quite honestly, more often than not, not seen this offensive coordinator be able to do. And it is unacceptable. Finally, I am all for loyalty. I believe strongly in loyalty. Shane Beamer obviously does as well. And I think he inherited that from his dad. His dad was known to be very loyal to his assistants and coordinators and position coaches. I, I applaud that. I endorse that to an extent. There also has to be a place for accountability. Right now, I see a lack of accountability. I see an offensive game plan that continuously against higher level defenses. Let's be honest. Texas A&M's defense is not very good. Your defense got you the ball on short fields. Your special teams got you an opening game kickoff return for a touchdown. Kentucky, not the best defense in the SEC. Again, your defense got you a big turnover to start the game. Got you an interception. Special teams played well. Got you some short fields. Buried the other team deep. If that is what you are relying on for scoring points, if that is what you are relying on for your offensive system to be effective, then you do not. Let me say that again. You do not have an offensive system. And right now, South Carolina does not have an offensive system that is worth being in a Power 5 conference in the SEC trying to compete. Don't tell me about players. 
Don't tell me about talent. Don't tell me about facilities. Don't tell me about any of those things. Because last Saturday and this Saturday against Vanderbilt, you are the more talented football team. You lost to Missouri because you were not as well coached as the Missouri football team. If you lose to Vanderbilt this weekend, which we'll talk about in a second, it will also be because you were not as well coached. You have more talent than they do, point blank. If, they, if you come out on the losing side, it's because you were not well prepared, the game plan was not well designed, the system is broken, and accountability does not exist. Either way, it's problematic. Shane Beamer said in his Tuesday press conference, if he thought moving responsibilities of play calling to someone else would help the offense, he would do it, and right now he doesn't. Again, I would say either that's a bit of an indictment on your offensive coaching staff and their ability as play callers. Some of these guys are former play callers, by the way, some at the NFL level, or it's a massive under utilization of talent by your head coach because right now what Marcus Satterfield's offense is putting out on the field is quite simply bluntly not good enough let's move into this week what a difference a week makes you just heard me rant for about 18 minutes about how disappointing the South Carolina performance was against Missouri this is the most dead in the water that South Carolina has been this season since the Georgia game when they got run off the field They had a lot of get-right games, two SEC wins, and everybody was feeling better about themselves. That was obvious on Saturday. We felt pretty good about ourselves going into that game. Quickly, we realized we weren't as good as we thought we were. Last week, South Carolina had a four-game SEC winning, or excuse me, four-game winning streak. A two-game SEC winning streak was 25th in the country, and that's all evaporated in one Saturday and one of the worst performances of this season. The good news is Vanderbilt is dead last in total offense and dead last in total yards allowed on defense. If there is ever such thing as a get-right game in the SEC, this coming Saturday is it. Vanderbilt has not won a conference game this season. Vanderbilt has only been competitive in a couple SEC games. This is a game that should be something that you can get yourself back on track with. But the experts in Las Vegas that sometimes I refute, sometimes I question, but more often than not are right, have you as a seven-point favorite against a team that does not have an SEC win. That is a massive statement about the experts, the statistical analysis, the statistical experts of Vegas that they get paid a lot of money to know these lines to put it in the best position to think about your offense your ability to perform you are a seven point favorite against a team that has no SEC wins I'm going to be honest with you I didn't do a whole lot of really any breakdown of Vanderbilt this week that's not a disrespect to Vanderbilt but for me and for I think a lot of our listeners This is more about the South Carolina Gamecocks. Let me read you a stat that Brad Crawford from 24-7 Sports or 247 Sports put on Twitter earlier this week. Excluding one-play drives and QB kneel situations, South Carolina's offense has gone three and out 
on 93 of 148 drives since 2021. That is 62% of the time. So that's not plays, that's drives. That means the Gamecocks got the ball, needed to get 10 yards to get a first down to continue the drive, and 93 times out of 148 times, they could not do it, which is 62% of the time. In contrast, Tennessee, during that same time frame, was only, only went three and out in that same set of parameters 23 times of 127 drives, or 18%. Tennessee is currently ranked in the college football playoff first ranking number one. They have the highest scoring offense in the country. They have a Heisman Trophy candidate at quarterback that was once a transfer from a program when he was not excelling and now is. Sound familiar, South Carolina fans? Not good enough. Final outlook. I said this already. South Carolina has more talent than Vanderbilt. There is no question about that. The question is, will they be better coached than Vanderbilt? As of this moment, I have zero confidence that unless this team is able to get turnovers on defense that result in shortened field situations or defensive touchdowns, as well as get shortened field situations from SEC, or excuse me, from special teams play or maybe even a touchdown, that they can win this football game. If it is solely reliant on the South Carolina offense to score points, I do not believe they can beat Vanderbilt. If the defense can produce turnovers, if the special teams can produce solid to good field position or score a touchdown or two or keep a point off the board, South Carolina can win. But it will take a team effort. It's not going to be a blowout. It could be another three-and-out fest, something that South Carolina's done 62% of the time in the last two years in their offensive drives. Switching gears to South Carolina's major rival, Clemson. Clemson Tigers were on a bye last week. They are traveling to South Bend, Indiana, to take on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, and they are a three-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. It was a good timing for, D for DJU and the Clemson offense to have a bye week. DJU against Syracuse late in the second half was pulled from the game and replaced by freshman quarterback Cade Klubnik after throwing two interceptions and fumbling the football. He's only thrown four interceptions this year, which is a major improvement over his stats from last year. But because of the trend that the Clemson coaching staff saw, he was pulled from the game and replaced by a freshman. It's never a good sign for a team that's trying to make the playoffs when your veteran quarterback is pulled and replaced by a true freshman. So they've had a offseason, excuse me, not an offseason, a bye week to get ready, to prepare, to get DJ in situations, to review the tape of the Irish defense, to be able to get him in situations where he is, can be successful and can have a good feel for what to do in those situations. Of course, their running game, other than a couple turnovers um, at inopportune times, have been solid this year. So Will Shipley and the like of the running back room have produced well. If they can continue to do that, this offense can turn itself around. As of right now, Clemson is ranked in the top five in total offense with it being uh, passing offense, or running offense in the ACC. This is an offense that's doing well. This is an offense that's doing well other than turnovers, and they have a, a time to get that fixed. I will point out, the Irish had a 
game last week. They did not have a bye. They played the Syracuse Orange. They beat them in Syracuse. And one of the big P plays was a first offensive play. Syracuse throws and Syracuse quarterback throws a pick six and the Irish start off the game seven to nothing. The Irish were also able to run well on the Syracuse defense. However, Clemson's defense, as we have talked about in great length this season, is much better than the Syracuse offense or defense, particularly at the defensive line, the defensive front seven. They are currently ranked first in the ACC in rush defense. However, they are only 12th in pass defense ahead of Duke and UNC. This offense, excuse me, this defense for Clemson has been solid. If there is a weakness, it has been their secondary and their passing defense. With that in mind, switching to the Irish, new head coach Marcus Freeman has his team at 5-3 and three this year. That includes two what I would call bad losses. One to Marshall in week two, where they did lose their original starting quarterback, Tyler, and I think it's Bugner for the year, and then to Stanford in week six. However, they have beaten two ranked opponents in BYU and last week against Syracuse. Kind of a weird stat, but when those teams were beat by the Irish both times at that time in the year, BYU and Syracuse were both ranked 16th when they pulled off those wins. Kind of just a weird coincidence there. They're currently, <coughs> they being the Irish, are on a two-game winning streak as the Tigers come to South Bend to take them on. Their offensive coordinator was retained from last year's staff. He's been around in South Bend actually for quite a while. It is former Notre Dame quarterback Tommy Reese who took over as the OC under Brian Kelly back in 2020 at only 28. This is a guy who has been called a play-calling savant, a you know super-talented, uber-talented in-game adjustment OC. Marcus Satterfield considers studying some, studying some of their tape. So largely a spread-based shotgun offense, but they will get into a pistol formation and they will use multiple tight ends to be able to run, <coughs> excuse me, both power run attacks and inside zone attacks with QB reads off of both of those. Even as a former quarterback, Tommy Reese values the run game. Currently, the Irish are averaging 42 rushing attempts per game against 26 passing attempts. This is something that might be surprising for fans who would expect a former quarterback to really want to throw the ball. So while that's surprising that they want to run the ball more, their current starting quarterback, number 10, sophomore Drew Pine, is, while slightly slight of build at 5'11", 198 pounds, has done a good job as a passer this season. He's completing 66% of his passes with 13 touchdowns against only four interceptions. This is an offense that likes to make quick reads. That doesn't mean this is a dink and dunk offense. They'll take their shots downfield, but this is a half-field read, and if-then read that I really prefer as a college offense. Their current leading rusher is sophomore number seven, Aldrick Estime, I believe is how I say his last name. Thomas isn't here to help me with that. He's currently averaging 5.6 yards per carry with eight rushing touchdowns on the season and is coming off an 100-yard rushing outing against the Syracuse Orange where he scored two of his eight touchdowns. But the Irish do seem to have a stable of running backs that they use. They use multiple running backs, not just the aforementioned leading rusher. Their leading wide receiver right now is All-American Junior, preseason All-American Junior, number 87, Michael Mayer. 
with 580 yards and six receiving touchdowns. He is not your traditional tight end in the fact that he will line up at wide receiver positions and take vertical routes. He is also big enough that he is a helper in the run game. He will block. He is a true blocking tight end. The Clemson defense is going to have to be prepared for multiple formations and multiple tempos and both power running game, zone running game, play action pass. They have a full bag. I read a quote recently uh, that Tommy Reese said, I think it was actually from a year or two ago, where he said, listen, I I don't have a family. I'm single. Football is my life. I, I pour over film. This is a guy whose system is ready for anything that Clemson throws at them, except maybe, you know, sometimes you're going to be out, out-athleted. But speaking of defense, let's switch back to the Irish defense. Marcus Freeman last year was the defensive coordinator for the Irish until Brian Kelly uh, quit to go on to LSU. So this year as head coach, he brought in Al Golden as his new defensive coordinator. Fans, you may remember him as the former Temple and Miami Hurricane head coach. He is a defensive coordinator. He has experience in both the college ranks and the NFL ranks as a defensive coach. One of the mantras of this Irish defense is play fast, play free. They don't want to make you have to read too much. It is a reaction-based defense. This defensive front and defensive system is multiple. You might see a four-man front. You might see a three-man front. You might see a 3-3-5 alignment. You might see a 4-2-5 alignment. They they like to get creative and make you think as an offense. And also, they're going to line up to play their chess pieces the way to counteract your chess pieces. They have a hybrid pass rush in slash linebacker position that they call their Viper. And then they also have a hybrid linebacker safety position that they call a Rover, which is a more traditional name for that type of role. Senior number seven, Isaiah, I think it is Frosky. Frowski, I may be saying both those things wrong. Again, I need Thomas here for that, is the Viper. And he is their best pass rusher. At the junior at six foot five, 265 pounds, leads the team with seven sacks this year. And, and that is good enough for ninth in the nation overall. Junior middle linebacker, number 27, Jade, I think it's Bertrand, is the team's leading tackler with 48 tackles. And then the second leading tackler is, with 33 tackles is junior rover number 24, Jack Kesser. So it's always a good sign to me when your linebacker and essentially your your will linebacker is are your two best tacklers or your two most common tacklers because that means plays are getting stopped close to the line of scrimmage. If your free safeties are leading your team in tackles, that often means the other team is getting huge gains. This is a strong defense. They rank 28th in the nation in total yards allowed, only one spot behind Clemson in the national ranking. As well, they also rank 28th in total average per play Yard 5.8 yards per play is the average they are giving up. One of their biggest strengths is their third down defense where they are only allowing 35% conversion to their opponent's offense. If I'm looking at the final outlook here, I said two weeks ago that I felt like Clemson was on upset alert against the Syracuse Orange. They are again on upset alert against the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. I will tell you this, I... I gave Clemson the edge against Syracuse because they were playing at home in Death Valley. That is not the case this week. They are going to Indiana, to South Bend, to play at Notre Dame. They won't have the home crowd in their favor. 
They won't have the home crowd quiet when they're on offense and loud when the other team's on defense to try and mess up their calls. If the Irish can withstand the Clemson pass rush and front seven, get their play-action passing game and RPO game going in order to expose the Clemson secondary. So what the play-action pass and RPO really do, run-pass option that is, as a reminder, is it really freezes the linebackers and sometimes the defensive line. It's designed to keep the linebackers and defensive line, the defensive line from pinning their ears back and coming on a pass rush, and the linebackers from going into their pass sets, dropping into their zones. They want to make them freeze for a second and wait and go, oh, is it a run? Do I need to come up? Oh, nope, it's a pass. I got to drop. Oh, no, now there's space. Easy, easy completion for the other team's quarterback. So if the Irish front, the Irish offensive line and backs can withhold or withstand that pressure that's going to come from that front seven, I think the passing game can expose the Clemson secondary. I am going to go ahead and call it. I'm calling for an upset in South Bend. I think Clemson goes down. Now, you could say, of course you do. You're a South Carolina Gamecock fan. The Gamecocks aren't having the year we wanted to have, and Clemson is your rival, so of course you're going to pick them to lose. I think there is a lot of things working against Clemson this week. Number one, the Irish are coming off a big win on the road against a pretty doggone good Syracuse team, which took Clemson down to the wire. While Clemson is on a bye, they also have their first real turmoil of the offensive season, which was a big problem last year. And like I said on the previous week's show, once you pull that starting quarterback, that hook, so to speak, gets shorter. The court, the coach's willingness to pull him is something that could happen much quicker. And I'm not sure Cade Klubnik is ready to play a significant amount of snaps in South Bend as a true freshman. Plus, to be quite honest, I love college football to have chaos right now Clemson is in that playoff top four along with Tennessee and Georgia and Ohio State so I'd love to see some chaos some change some question I'd love to see a whole lot of one loss football teams at the end of this season and this committee have to make a very very tough decision about who the four that get in are and that this is the first domino is if Clemson is upset against Notre Dame in South Bend, this throws the first monkey wrench in the college football playoff committee's selection process. Now let's switch to just some overall games from around the country, looking at a 12 o'clock game, a 3.30 game, and a 7 or 7.30 game is how we typically do this. The noon game, I am going to be a little bit of a homer here. This may not be the game that's most interesting to our fans, but I'm looking at the Florida and Texas A&M game at 12. This will be on ES, or excuse me, on SEC Network. Currently, the Aggies are a home favorite at 3.5. As a Gamecock fan, I'm really interested in this game. Texas a and is a team we beat. They're a team that is really struggling. They've lost their last four in a row. There's been a lot of questions about the team dynamic. Has Jimbo Fisher, head coach, lost the locker room? Has the team turned against him? Are they stop, stopping paying attention? Is this NIL-rich team going to turn on their head coach? Also, South Carolina, next opponent after Vanderbilt, if they are able to get the win on the road in Nashville, will be the Florida Gators on the road in Gainesville, Florida. Florida's had an up-and-down season. They've had some rough moments. If they do lose on the road to Texas A&M, a team that is reeling, what? how ready are they mentally to take on the Gamecocks next week at home? 
But with all of that being said, I think I think Texas A&M right now is in a tailspin. I don't think the Aggies are going to rally around their coach. I think they're going to fall flat. And if UF plays one of their better games, which they've been known to do this season, they've put together some good halves, some good moments, I think the Gators go into Kyle Field at College Stadium and get this win. Honestly, I'm so confident in that the real bet ought to be is Jimbo Fisher still the head football coach of the Texas A&M Aggies come Monday morning if he loses his fifth game in a row? Or is his buyout too high for them to go ahead and make that decision? Also, if you're looking to put action at Better's Edge, I would take the over on 54 there. 330, the game of the season so far, the most significant game. This is the Tennessee Volunteers in Athens taking on the University of Georgia Bulldogs on CBS at 3.30. This is to decide ultimately, and in a lot of respects, I'd have to look at tiebreakers and whatnot, but essentially the team who wins this game is going to the SEC championship as the SEC East representative. I find it interesting that Georgia is a home favorite at eight points. Typically being at home, you, you get a three-point favorite is kind of the going knowledge. I just I find that hard to believe. This is a tough, tough game for the Bulldogs. However, this may be one of the best defenses that Tennessee has faced all season. The uh, Georgia is ranked fourth in total yards allowed and tenth in third down com- third down conversion completion uh, percentage at thirty two percent in the nation. So that's fourth in the nation in total defense, fourth in third down conversion allowed. 13th in passing yards allowed. That is in comparison to Alabama, who is probably the best defense that Tennessee has played to this point, that is 32nd in the nation in pass defense. So this is a step up. However, the Georgia Bulldogs are going to be out without their best pass rusher, and Georgia only has 10 sacks on this season, but their best pass rusher, Nolan Smith, is out for the year. That makes that pass rush a little less effective or a lot less effective than it was before last week. UT's offense has been an unstoppable bullet train at light speed, ludicrous speed ever since the Pitt game. Whatever the Pitt Panthers know about how to defend this Tennessee offense, if you are Kirby Smart and Will Muschamp of the Georgia defensive uh, coaching staff, if you know anybody at Pitt, I hope you gave them a call this week. Right now, I think it's crazy that UGA is an eight-point favorite even though they're at home. I'm going to be honest, and it's not what I want to say, but it's what I believe will happen. I think the Vols roll here. I think the Vols definitely cover. If you're not confident enough confident enough to say they win this game, I do think they cover this game. And I would always, when the Vols are involved, always bet the over. Right now, they are just turning out points left and right. I do personally think the Vols win this game. But if you're asking me where to put your action, I'd at least say they cover. The 7 o'clock game I'm most interested in is number 24, Texas which is a favorite on the road at two and a half points against number 13, Kansas State on Fox Sports 1 on on Saturday night. This is a really interesting game. People were wondering last week what the Wildcats were going to do without starting quarterback Adrian Martinez. Well, what they did is they shut out the Cowboys. I believe they won 48 to nothing. And the replacement quarterback, Will Howard, threw for 296 yards and four touchdowns. That is an impressive debut. 
really, really good. I expect Kansas State to cover the spread, which at two and a half points essentially means I expect them to win the game. Adrian Martinez is supposedly healthy enough to be involved this game. He is a good runner. Uh, Obviously, Will Howard has shown the ability to be a very good passer at almost 300 yards and four touchdowns last week. This is a team that is pretty doggone good. They've had some tough games this year that they've lost, but I think at home with, you know, the uncertainty of quarterback, now Texas has to prepare for two guys. That means you don't get to spend your entire practice time getting ready just for Will Howard or just Adrian Martinez. you got to be prepared for both, and I think they're slightly different quarterbacks, which makes it hard to get ready. I expect some good football on Saturday. I don't know that I expect the South Carolina Gamecocks to play it, but I expect some good football on Saturday, particularly that 3.30 game. I think it'll be back and forth. I think it'll be interesting to see. I think you're going to see a lot of points, which makes it fun to watch. If you want to follow us on social media, we are at SAA Football Fan, at SAA Football Fan on both Twitter and Instagram. Again, our email address is saafootballfan at gmail.com. And that is my fateful co-host, Zoe, making some good noise in the background to make sure everybody knows we're home and she's doing well. Again, we want to say congratulations to Thomas and his lovely wife on the birth of their first child. Thomas, stay home, take care of that baby, get some sleep. We'll handle football for you, and we'll see everybody else next week.